Hey guys, welcome back to Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the naked people all over the world and online now too. So <laughs> we are back this week with another episode for our mini COVID series. So this week I am speaking with Adrian Spring, an exotic dancer here over in the West Coast, I believe, but she is going to go ahead and give herself her own introduction because I actually don't really know much about you, <laughs> except I've been chasing you since the fall. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, but like, tell the audience who you are, why you do anything and everything. <laughs> right. Well, basically, I've been doing this for about 11 years. Um, so I started in BC mm-hmm. in roughly 2008. It was a lot more relaxed of an industry at that time. It was, you know, stage focused. Private dancing didn't really exist. You know, you'd have like fucking like nine shows a day, six days a week. Wow. Um, it was, yeah, it was a lot of work. I didn't really <laughs> take it seriously when I got into it. And then it was kind of funny because what happened is that I, my first week I think was like in Victoria and I had, this, you know, like ankle high boot or ankle high shoes <laughs> and I had no idea how to move. So like I stepped up, you know, onto the stage. First thing I did and it was planned. Like I just had no idea how to do it. <laughs> classic straight up straight up white coat and uh you know it was my the woman who was a a teacher like I really wish I could remember her name but like I remember how she moved yeah and her like how she talked and her attitude really sweet woman and she tried so hard and I was like (laughs) I'm cool with this like no honey you're really not like you're you're just going to the center But uh, yeah, I had my head buzz cut hair. You know, my understanding of makeup was rudimentary at best. It was it was like a clusterfuck on all levels. <laughs> we all got to start somewhere. <laughs> the, the spirit, the spirit was there, but the uh, sort of the the practicality was missing at that point. Oh no! And, uh, and I, you know, because the the way you move, because I come from like a martial arts and a ballet background. Okay, so that's like the two the two most asexual sort of possible <laughs> roots you can come into. And uh, I didn't really, uh, my method of movement was very sort of quick. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, if you move fast, then they won't notice that you don't know what you're doing. That's not actually <laughs> That's common. Yeah. The fast yeah. movement in the beginning, it's always like, whoa, nerves, yeah. everything, all that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Classic. Yeah. I know it's, it's a giant panic button basically. And it's, <laughs> you know, it was a mess. I remember my knees were purple and my arms, like my shoulders, you know, felt like somebody had pulled them out of their sockets, like wet noodles. And you know, down the Macarena with them. It was a mess. <laughs> like, it was so hard. I would have loved to see this. You're describing it really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. But, so, yeah, no. yeah. So that yeah, was your so first kind of experience? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And you have, you obviously, you said you had a movement background in martial arts as well as dancing. Yeah. And I'm also seeing other titles here on your Instagram, dancer, actor, writer, creative director, producer, major history, movie, book, comic nerd, and outspoken activist. And now you've also told me before recording that you're also a trauma counselor. So holy shit, there's so many things going on. (laughs) Where do do we start? 
I, I got into the industry later versus like right out of high school. So mm, okay. I basically, I had a more of a foundation in like civilian work versus adult work. Right. It's an industry that can override somebody's life if they allow it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that you're not really, you're not, people aren't really mentored now with regarding to like having, you know, where to, where to put the boundaries and how to like enforce them. Right. And so something that, that can be an issue that it's, it's a catch 22 because it's like, you're pressured more and more to be in media. And yet it's like giving too much is also not necessarily a safe or healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a question of everybody has, have, everybody has unique boundaries. It's not one for everybody. No, it's definitely not like um, a one size fits all thing at all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because in my case, it's like my parents know what I do. They don't like what I do. But uh, it's something that, you know, some people, some parents are supportive. Some people just kind of pretend that it doesn't exist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, and then some people get outright get disowned. So yeah. it's either that or some, some people can get death threats or, you know, different things. So it's it depends on the person. Totally. There's so many levels on the spectrum there. And how how was your experience? Like, what's your story? How did you get into dancing? Uh, basically, because I was a business manager in retail on Vancouver and Robson Street. Oh, um, <laughs> my! I didn't work in like a, in a large sort of chain store. I worked in like a small, small sort of a like a small business. Okay. And so I was I was sort of retail person as well as manager. So when my boss would go away to China because she was Chinese mm-hmm. and um you know she she'd work her ass off. So <clears throat> I really respected her work ethic. Yeah. Um like she there was no slacking at all. Like she didn't, you know, rele- relegate any work to anybody else. It was basically you know, when the roof leaked because, you know, the pipes were fishy and literally the, <laughs> it leaked <laughs> right into the, into the, into the store. And so she was right there on the chair, you know, refinishing yeah. the ceiling. You know, it was, it was really strong sort of work ethic foundation. Okay. Because I, I understood from that, that if you're going to be an owner and she was the owner and when you're present, like I didn't get paid much, like it was basically $8.50 an hour. Oh, but ouch. it was not, it was not like she was working or she was going to Vegas and no. you know blowing all the money like she was basically she paid me that because she did not have you know wiggle room to pay anymore right so it was an interesting sort of foundation of of business right so that's how you kind of got mm-hmm. into how did you get introduced into the industry though uh, well, basically, because I was, you know, doing like six to seven days a week work, yeah, um, you know, eight hours a day plus. You know, I'd get tired, and I reached basically the point where I was sort of done with dealing with people. <laughs> and uh, you know, I I wanted to. For me, there was like the Cecil. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh with the, yeah, the Cecil. The name rings a bell, right? Yeah. And so I love I love going there because I love watching performers. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I have a, I have a dance background, and so I love watching entertainers and performers. So that was actually when I saw my first fire show. Okay. And, right. And so everything's kind of connected. I always loved, you know, going there to just kind of alleviate the day, de-stress. I would never sit in front row because I always felt kind of uncomfortable. Okay. I like good vantage points. So I'll sit in sort of like a, not a balcony area, but sort of like a slightly raised area. And usually I'd drag like a male friend of mine along just for show. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I I didn't mind going on my own. 
you know, because it's like, to me, it was just a time to like unwind and relax at the yeah. end of a, a long, tiring work day. Yeah, de-stress. And if I liked it, right. And if I liked a show, then what I would do is to kind of walk up to the stage and sort of lean over to the dancer and put the money down and say, thank you. That was an amazing show. Totally. And then sort of teeter my way to the back to where I was sitting and just quietly sit <laughs> so. You know, I almost like that better, you know, as like for clients, I almost rather them mm-hmm. sit in the back, admire the show instead of sit at the front, don't tip anything. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> What's one thing I find that's different is because it's like when I started in BC, because I started in BC first for five years, then I was in Alberta for five years, oh, then okay. I was, or it feels like five years anyway, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, then now I'm working in Manitoba, which is like a sort of BC, but kind of not. Okay. Um, so it was basically three very different systems that I worked in. Right. And I've also worked in, in Ontario, and I've also competed in Australia, New Zealand, and the States. Oh, wow. So it's like I've seen, it's interesting to see different perspectives of the industry, mm-hmm. different rules, um, different sort of audience interactions. For me, the worst thing ever is when you have like a crowd that's sort of disinterested and quiet. Yeah, I um, hate that. I've also, right, it's <laughs> with, with, regarding to, with regarding to tipping, this is something that people don't necessarily, a lot of the dancers, unfortunately, now have have gotten quite aggressive. I understand <laughs> it. Yeah. It's it's a catch-22 because the, you know, when I started, you know, 11 years ago, the economy was better. Like it was doing more prosperous industries were open. Meaning right. uh, in, in BC, forestry was big. The pulp mills were big. You had mining industry. So basically there was more money to go around. Yeah. And so tip, uh, tipping was more prolific. Also, you'd have the canning industry, fishing industry. So the economy in the province was more healthy. Right. Um, then when I started into be into sorry into Alberta, then it was also again it was reasonably healthy. So we mm-hmm. we you'd have a huge front row. And basically every guy was throwing you, you know, 50, 75, 100, 150 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever per person. Right. Like, oh, man. It was, it was pretty good. Back in the so, day. <laughs> right. But, so depending on where you were, like it was, it was pretty decent. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you go to, you go to Manitoba and it's a much less tipping oriented province. Like it's oh. more very the system out there is more relaxed. Like it's more casual More chill. It, it's not really focused around the stage quite often. The stage just happens to be there. Sort of thing. So it's, it's a very different situation because they don't necessarily have strip bars. They have bars that might have strippers at, you know, segments of the day. I see. So it's, it's a very different system. Right. And the thing that with regarding to tipping and, and dancer aggression <laughs> is, is that when, because I've seen it in Alberta is prevalent, unfortunately, and, and also in social media, you see it where the girls are like, if you're not tipping, get the fuck out of front row. And yeah. the, it's a catch 20. It's, it's a catch 22 because you have no idea what the guy's going through. You have no idea 
you know, he might be broke now, but he might in a month, you know, drop a hundred bucks. Like you have yeah. no clue. You just don't know. And, and, but the, it's a catch 22 are on our end as dancers because our overhead is increased. Right. We have less, we have less shows. We have, what do you call it? Their, um, you know, accommodation fees have increased, you know, food right. is not going down either. Yeah. Like our, our upkeep has not decreased, but the economy has not taken that into consideration. Like house fees have increased. Increased. Yep. You know, quotas are now an issue. Um, if you don't make the quota that it's like, you're going to either lose your paycheck or you're going to get, you know, you know, one side of your shirt ripped off sort of thing. Yeah. Like there's no, you know, there's, there's no balance between the economy being in trouble and easing up on the dancers. It's kind of like you're, you're more pressured to be more like I was in Edmonton at one point and uh, it was funny because the bar was like next to fucking dead. There was like four guys or five guys or whatever. <laughs> and the one guy I was talking to at the bar and he was like, Oh, and my usual comment is like, oh, would you like a private dance? Like, I'm not a very aggressive seller. Yeah. And he's like, and he told me, it's like, you need to be more aggressive. Uh, you know, you don't, oh, really? you shouldn't be giving, you shouldn't be giving the guy a choice. And this is a customer. And I was like, well, how did that work out? You know, look at the bar. Like, it's so busy, man. Like, can you see all the customers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a catch 22 because it's like a friend of mine who was working there. She had a regular that came in, you know, he was chatting with her or whatever. And then he's like, okay, I got to get, you know, some stuff from the, from his truck. And so he goes out and then two freelancers followed him to what? his truck. Oh my God. And, and started harassing him. And Seriously? it's like, oh, it's gosh. not your customer. Number one. Yeah. Number two, you're literally stalking this guy. That's so crazy. And he felt so uncomfortable. Well, it's 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 basically it's a self-perpetuated problem. It's something that it was created from the top and then it snowballed out of control. Right. And I've gotten I've gotten in a lot of shit for being critical about it. And the, but the thing is is that as a business manager before I came in, you know, I can see long term what happens. Yeah, totally. You know, it doesn't help the business grow and it people talk outside of the business with regarding to audience people. And yeah. that's how you destroy your, that's how you basically destroy your industry. Because oh when people know that they're not going to be relaxed in the bar, mm -hmm. why are they going to go they're, into the bar? Yeah. They're not going to come <laughs> back. There's no incentive. It's just like, why would I want to go there if I'm just going to be harassed the entire time? So that's, that's the problem. And it's right. something that it's a, it's an industry wide issue. And a lot of people don't like the criticism, but it's it, the the issue that you run into is that when the economy is not where it was when it was more free flowing money, you literally cannot wring the money long term out of something that isn't there anymore. It's not there anymore. Yeah, exactly. And the whole adult well, industry is completely changed, as you said, because you said you've you've been in the business for over ten years. You said fourteen years or so. Or 11 years. Yeah, 11 years. Oh, gosh. Okay. Gee, that's still like longer than a decade. That's incredible. So you've obviously... It feels like 14. <laughs> <laughs> so you've obviously seen like a huge shift in how business has changed. Yeah. Um, you've probably seen a lot of yeah. issues too. I, I know you want to speak on work and poverty issues in the adult industry. Did you want to speak a little bit about that? This is the, again, this is, it's a sort of connected issue with regarding to the aggression. Mm -hmm. 
specifically this was a huge Alberta issue. Oh, and it's now it's now also like an Alberta a, a BC issue to some extent. Right, is that if you have huge loss hanging over your head, if you are not aggressive, then you will not get the dance numbers. So therefore, you won't get the work. Right, you know you the dancer used to be judged on stage presence. You used, used to, to be, be judged yeah. on costume costume intricacy. Right. Um, it, it used to be skills, and that used to be the only judge. Yeah. And then it, and then it was basically seniority, abilities, etc. And then I remember when I was new to working in Alberta, and I was in Edmonton. Uh, I worked. I can't remember. Well, actually, I do remember, but um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was told, okay, this is what I'm going to be paid for the week, or okay. not for the week, but for show. And so I'm like, okay. And so I, I, again, I was new to the system at the time, so I didn't really understand how any of it worked. Okay. And okay, this is my pay that I'm expecting. End of the week, look at my pay, and I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah, well, you didn't get X amount of, you know, private dances. It's like, and I'm like, well, I did quota, so what the heck's the problem? And it's like, well, you, you should have done this amount. Wow. And it's like, and it's like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> You know, because it's like you're you're told in your contract a certain amount, but if you don't do, you know, five times that, then you lose. And it's something that it's an unwritten rule. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. But <laughs> it, it, the, the thing that you run into is that it's no surprise when girls get hyper aggressive because economically, where are you going to get the money? Yeah. And and this is this is the thing is that if you if you have two to three shows a day because I started in BC where it was nine, you know six yeah. to nine shows a day versus a lot less. Yeah, like the money is going to come from somewhere. So where is it going to come from? Mm-hmm. So if you're not if you're not getting it from stage, you're going to get it from hustling. Yeah, and so that that's where the aggression comes in, and this is where I find interesting is in the U.S. You know, I worked or I, I competed, I should say, in four. So I basically was in Colorado, Iowa, Florida, <laughs> and New Orleans. Oh, okay. Very cool. And it's interesting, right? And it's interesting because when you see the attitude of the performer and then you see the attitude of the of the audience, it's also very different. It also is different depending on state okay and it also depends on on location because they don't have the stage surfaces quite often okay for like crazy shows because at one point the stage surface was granite oh my god i didn't i I didn't yeah well the thing was is that a friend of mine was like i never had an accident in my life and i'm like oh don't say that (laughs) (laughs) and then then she did like some gymnastic move slam down on the stage and bust her knee and i was like oh no (laughs) <laughs> and and and, a, and a, a, another another point i was doing my show and i ended up like because because it was granite i mean that's not a fucking stage surface like it <laughs> looks gorgeous but it's not but not yeah not to dance like, on i literally got stuck because of my boots like i have thigh highs and so i ended up it was almost like a fly on fly paper like it was you know <laughs> i i sounded like a, a, a rusty door moving around like it was embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> and then one contest, I had this Wonder Woman costume with a giant cape. 
And I didn't take into consideration the fact that what the fuck do you do when the stage is too small? Oh, no. Because I was, I was, right, I was basically ricocheting between the poles, but trying to hold my cape out, but I didn't have the arm space. <laughs> so the, the focus, I don't know where the U.S. sort of stage policies shifted away from bigger shows towards the hustle. Right. And it also depend it it also depends on the age of the bar. It yeah. also depends on bar policy. It also depends on state policy. It also depends on you know, the owner. It depends on so many different things. So lots of like, different factors there for sure. Right. You know, the, the house fee system there exists. Yes. And that it's starting to sort of get into BC or sorry, starting to get into Canada. Mm-hmm. And it, it started with the freelancers, and then it sort of it depends again on which city, which province. Yeah, and it's something that again it it puts you as a dancer you're between a rock and a hard place. So it's like you have to be aggressive, or you basically have a pre-existing debt. Yeah, um, and as far as I know, I think none of the U.S. dancers, unless you're a feature, you don't really get paid. Yeah, it's I've heard something, something similar to that too. And it, like, it depends. I guess it depends on where the dancers are because it's like there's different tiers of dancers. Yeah. Versus in Canada, versus in Canada, it's like if you're a rookie or if you're a feature or whatever, like they all get paid, but it's a different pay scale. Yeah, exactly. Depending on like how many tricks you can do and stuff like that. It depends if you're new, mm-hmm. depends if you're more experienced and whatnot. It's Mm -hmm. all over the place. But, like, I find generally, like, as a stage dancer, there's just, like, no money in that anymore. I feel like all the money is in VIPing, but I hate doing that. Like, I've said it on the podcast so many times, like, I'm just not a fan of doing that. But then it's Mm -hmm. just like, well, I need to make money somehow. So I guess I'll, like, try to motivate myself somehow to, Mm -hmm. you know, try to talk to these people and do my rounds and try to get some dances in. So, yeah, it's been (laughs) – Right. One one thing I did actually get, which was priceless advice from a freelancer who was really sweet in Calgary, actually. And she kind of, you know, was super, super professional, super, you know, relaxed and like self-confident in her attitude and totally chill. And she was like, she kind of hand gestured to my body as I was standing there in a thong and a fucking bra and boots. And she's like, this is your sort of product. You know, you will never get 100% of the audience, but you'll get 80% of the audience. Mm-hmm. And keep it short, keep it short, keep it sweet. Be nice, introduce yourself. Don't hang around long enough to put your foot in your mouth, <laughs> but uh, extricate yourself and then next person. Yeah. And it's it's something that no, we don't really get mentored on that in the business. No, it's there's, no like how sort of get, <laughs> there's no how-to. There's no how-to guide. You just have to, have to like, figure it out yourself. Like, there's certain tips and stuff, too. Like, I try not to speak to someone for more than five minutes because, yeah, I, yeah you know, like, they're just going to keep talking to you. They're not going to tip you. Like, on a rare mm-hmm. occasion, they will. But then, like, none mm-hmm. of that will materialize into getting a dance. It's a weird, it's a weird system because it's, it's yeah no I when I was new in Alberta it's like I would just because I'm a nerd so it's like I can go <laughs> off but like you know clearly <laughs> on totally random topics because when you're selling dances you don't have time like you have to sell x amount and yeah. otherwise you literally lose your fucking paycheck and it's something that took me a long time to learn and it was really hard yeah it's definitely and, difficult to do right 
And it's like, I understand why some of the dancers, if you sit down with a, you know, somebody that is a regular of theirs, they can get very angry because mm-hmm. it's literally their, their wallet you're, you're, you're interfering with. Yeah, like you're stealing and their customer, basically. It's the dancer perspective versus the civilian perspective. That <laughs> was actually funny. I was at one point in Edmonton and this one girl, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, my customer is my regulars coming in and he's going to buy me out. Well, and unfortunately for her that week, he didn't. Oh no. And she had made no effort to talk to anybody. Oh no. So she did one dance for the entire thing. Cause she was like literally banking on this one guy to like buy her out for all the dances. You literally and, cannot uh, do that. <laughs> I mean, like you yeah, can, well, but it's so risky. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is that it's conditioned. You no, know, you want to speak about like women's rights, women's bodies, mm-hmm. abortion, how that all relates. Yep. Feel free to go into it that. Does. <laughs> it does indeed. Let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> the, the irony of the whole thing. One thing that a lot of feminists these days, and this includes the big names, seem to forget conveniently is that the original feminists were sex workers. Damn right. Um, and this is, this is basically cross culture. So we're talking Everywhere from, um, you know, like ancient, you know, not ancient, but Venice in like the 1600s, one of the most predominant um, courtesans was, you know, also a very, very outspoken feminist. Another one in Korea, who was actually, again, same time period, 1600s, was Huang Jinyi. Uh, she was also a poet and, again, a courtesan, except that in their culture, it was like Gisang, as they're called. I think I'm probably not quite pronouncing it properly, but... And the thing is, ironically, with women is that we've always been pressured with regarding to education. It was very rarely available to us unless we happened to have, you know, a family and a father and, you know, whoever that was actually very focused on education of the girls as well as the boys. Right. And so awareness of women's sort of what they could do in a positive way in society was always very much sidelined. Right. And... If you were, you know, married or, you know, had a family or whatever, then quite often what you said was restricted because you didn't have your own. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, as a as a courtesan or sex industry worker, well, guess what? Her money is her own because that's her job. And the irony right. is that she'd be on the fringes of, of society and not accepted. But at the same time, she had more freedom than the average woman. Right. So, because, you know, codes of dress were restricted for civilian women, as well as, um, you know, if you were a courtesan, then you could go into libraries and you could actually study because it was considered to be sort of essential for your job instead of like, hey, I'm interested in this, let's do this. It was sort of believed to be connected to only her industry. Interesting. and it's something that now I think modern feminism is like, well, oh, well, you're, you know, a stripper or hooker or whatever, you know, slang term that seems to be, you know, derogatory at some point, but was actually, I think, taken from, what was it? It's a name that's actually from the Civil War. It was actually oh, a guy. Really? Like his name. So it's, it's people think it's a, like a derogatory slang, but it's actually, it's actually from something. <laughs> I didn't know I that. Can't, <laughs> I can't remember the, I can't remember the exact uh, origin quote from it but yeah. yeah but it's but it's actually there's a reason for the name i but, really enjoy the um, history lesson right now <laughs> this is right. so, so I awesome do that. i love it <laughs> but, uh, right but the thing is is that you know with regarding to women is that they're like oh well you're a bad feminist as madonna would say you know you mm. can't be a feminist if you're this right but it's like the irony is that 
the point of feminism is choice. Yes. Yes. The whole point. It is. (laughs) But people like seem to forget about that. It's so bizarre. Like it's, (laughs) it's because it's the observation of if they demonize us, then that makes them look better. Number one, number two, it basically boils down to, you know, women with regarding to society and how sex industry workers are seen with society is because it's an, it's an ugly situation when, when violence is done to adult industry workers, it's believed that it's our fault, except the irony is that guess what, honey, what's he doing behind closed doors in his own house? Right. Like it's something that, we are viewed as the other, except we are simply a more visible part of society. So it's it's deemed an isolated action when it is focused against fringe groups right. of sex workers instead of it's a behavioral problem of the individual, mm-hmm. not the person that he's targeting. He's basically doing it to target the person because he knows it's not going to be punished. That's why they right. do it. Right. And it's, it's simply something that people as a society like to forget because if they, if they actually had to really look at it, then they would admit that it's essentially, you know, when the mother coddles the son and forgives his behavior, you know, when you have the college varsity boy raping the girl mm-hmm. and the girl is blamed for it and called a slut, even though he's a big sports star. Yeah. So the irony is that the amount of cases that that actually is, is massive. Yeah. Massive. But it's not brought into, um, you know, public awareness because it's not convenient and because the guy is basically a teenager. Yeah. The irony is that we only see the results when the guy becomes a serial fucking killer because he's in his 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah. But the root of the problem that's not being properly addressed in public and society and also parenting is that the behavior starts from childhood. And as a trauma mm-hmm. counselor, that's something that I've seen is that it's basically generational problems. So basically, where where is he getting his attitude from? It's probably either his parents, his brother, or his uncle. Right. And it's it's something that um, <clears throat> either that or if his mother actually, because not all mothers are 100%, you know, <laughs> healthy <laughs> examples of society. Right. And that's something that people, people again, that boils into the whole abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Um well, the thing is, is that just because you have a uterus and you birth the baby in no way means that you either want it or are able to deal with it. And that's something that is the assumption is that, oh, because you, it, it was in you, you have to. It's like, no, actually, that's just a physical accident. Right. Like, it's not a physical accident, but it's basically you're biologically able to do it. That does not mean you're mentally able to do it. Yeah, or prepared There's two to. Things. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, pro-life people don't address because if you're, unless you're paying for that woman's life, meaning her food, accommodation, education, you know, you have a zero right to impose on somebody that, oh, you have to give birth to this kid. Totally. Like, do you know she's in a safe environment? Do you know, you know, who's the father? Is it her husband? Is it the boyfriend? Is it her older brother? Is it her uncle? Is it her dad? You just don't know those factors. Yeah, that is a huge problem. Right. And it's something that, again, is not being addressed. But, oh, yes, let's blame the adult industry. (laughs) Of course. For some reason, like, the adult industry or porn or something or whatever it is, video games, there's always, like, it's almost like a scapegoat. It is. Cop-out excuse. mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Well, the, the reason is very basic. It's because most people in the industry are not comfortable speaking up. Mm. So when you know that somebody is going to be silent, of course you're going to rail into them. Yeah, because they're, they're an easier target. They're you, not going to fight back. Right. Yeah, because you know that accountability doesn't exist or is very, very low. Because right. this is why in public circles like politics, inevitably sex scandals are one of the best way to bring somebody down. Right. Because it, it's something that everybody, you know, either their dick or vagina is going to be thinking with a little brain cell of its own. And, you know, very few people actually think when they're in the middle of whatever they're doing. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a guaranteed target of like directly counterpoints, you know, religious, religious society norm. Right. Which is basically the backbone of politics, laws, culture basis, police system, yeah. family, su- supposedly family structure, et cetera. Going real and deep so now. <laughs> I this well, this is why I get a lot of nerds. To no, talk to no, no. Would... <laughs> I really like it. It's true. Like society is <laughs> I think it's great because society right? is really rooted in religion. And of course, oh, yeah. like especially Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like and that of course, that view is Typically, I mean, well, not typically, it is conservative. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and we've had all these laws and all these rules instilled mm-hmm. in our culture for years. Well, years the upon years. That a lot of them are actually from the mid 1800s. Wow. And they've just simply never been changed. And yeah. it's freaky because when you look at that, like it's funny because there's that infamous one of in the States. You can have only a certain amount of sex toys, but you can, you know, have an unlimited amount of guns. And my sort of stand up <laughs> standing, my standing joke with a lot of people is like, okay, so a vagina is more dangerous than a gun, but a fucking gun's going to kill you. A vagina is an ice warm, comfy place. Like, how does this work? I don't understand. <laughs> like, I love that analogy. It but it's true. But it's true. Like, you know, I mean, I was, uh, at one point I was competing in, I think it was Florida, and the driver, you know, we were just on an errand round and I think he got a text or whatever and he was just answering it, you know, at like a stop or something. But unfortunately, it was seen by a, like a US, what do you call it there, like a police traffic person, whatever. Oh, okay, okay. And, and the guy came over and of course, because I've seen all these videos of like, you know, cops going batshit fucking crazy. Yeah. I was a little bit concerned because it's like, they're not exactly the most rational bunch that we've seen. No. So they seem to be overly fond of stroking the freaking trigger instead of the clitoris. Like, come on, man, <laughs> figure your priorities out. So it's, it's, it doesn't really work. They're not good at thinking with the right head. So it's not really good. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's disturbing. Very disturbing. Um, like, how, how did you and, get into all of your activism work? <laughs> I was part of the anti-violence committee when I was in high school. So that's basically, I think it was 11 and 12. We had like, a, it was a group sort of international convention. I think it was done in the UBC at the time. Okay. And so I remember it was kind of funny because at that point I was petrified of public speaking. The joke of the whole thing was that I stood up <laughs> in, my, in my suit and my friend was sitting next to me. And apparently I repeated the same sentence three times over and I don't fucking remember a damn thing. <laughs> and then he's, he's pulling on my skirt trying to get me to sit down and I just froze. <laughs> 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 like I could, I could articulate like, you know, in, in a 
person to person standpoint, but at that time publicly I was very uncomfortable. Okay. The joke the joke was that it took me losing my clothing to be comfortable. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> so when you have nothing to hide, then you know what are you gonna do, right? Exactly. Like it, it's also that, you know, you get when you're a dancer that when you screw up, first thing I did follow my face, you know, and it's like at one point I was in Port Alberta and I went into the Russian splits by accident because my boots were too big and my, my socks were too thin and I couldn't stop myself. And oh I just you know, went sideways and then, you know, fell on my ass and started laughing because it's like, what else are you going to do? Yeah. What else are you going to do? Like you, <laughs> you, you lose any sense of embarrassment because what is embarrassment? It's, it's simply a short term discomfort which is a it's a choice that we either let it overcome us or just laugh and move on because what else you know that is what it is <laughs> that's a really good outlook though too <laughs> yeah there's so many times that I've been like embarrassed myself on stage and you're just like well I just you have to keep going the show must go on right, right. <laughs> well that and actually when I was when I was new because my hair was so short I had to wear a wig and at one point I bent over backwards and my, my fucking wig <laughs> fell off. <laughs> so, I've also seen that like, on stage too. <laughs> right? And it was on stage and I remember I kind of turned around, you know, picked it up, shook it out, made sure it was the right end forward and slapped it back on my head and kept going. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes you get more tips when that happens. Like all those accidents – they're like, oh, right. I feel sorry for you, or the thing is funny, or the thing is part of the act, and like, oh, here's more money, and yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, it's also it's also how you deal with it because if you laugh totally. it off, then people get more engaged because it's humor and it's positive. Yes, exactly. Because I've also, when I was new as well, is because somebody would start clapping or whatever, just like randomly. Or I think this was in one location that I worked. And I was annoyed with it, and I didn't deal with it properly. I got angry at the person because it was like, I don't know, like some, sometimes you have a really weird audience member and they'll kind of either dance like in their own little world or they'll just sort of clap when counter to the music and then you're trying to do your thing and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it, it, it can kind of throw you off. And I, and I was, and I got angry oh, and no. I remember, and I remember the result didn't like, it didn't really do anything drastic, but I remember that it didn't do anything positive for sure. Yeah. And then I worked, I worked with a friend of mine who I think a number of dancers might know, Gemini. That was her name in the industry. And she was like, she's one of the most positive, bubbly, outgoing performers I've ever worked with in my bloody life. And so we traveled together for two years. Yeah. And it's funny because like I'm the sort of intense, sort of more quiety, spidery person. And she <laughs> I like that. I like the, that. The, the bubbly, boobled tanned bouncy ball you know person <laughs> right and, and so it was like a total counterpoint pairing she was so humorous and engaging and because she fed off the energy of the crowd and would feed them energy as well yeah that's really and, important right and I saw that and I was like Jesus you know I'm doing this wrong it's basically shifting the mindset that don't keep taking from the audience right. we have to give as performers Right. And that's something that, again, is is missing because they need to be entertained. They need to have enjoyment. They need to have positivity. Absolutely. And it takes a lot of energy to do it. So, of course, of course. You know. I also want to speak to you, too, like in, in light of COVID, since we are still in COVID. Yeah. I know you really want to speak on this topic, and I also want to talk about it, too. 
on the topic mm-hmm. of OnlyFans, which I've brought up on the podcast a lot of the times, but there's just so many angles and so many oh, yeah. things that need to be said about it. And specifically, you want to talk to me about how you like to call them civilians, so, <laughs> which I love that Whoa. term, which they are, <laughs> and how they're getting into the OnlyFans game and just using mm-hmm. it to supplement their income. Let's chat about that. <laughs> I want to get you fired up. <laughs> what it, it's? I think I think there's like a nickname in the industry of like Corona Girls or something. <laughs> um, that's that's what I was reading up, and it's it's interesting, and it's also sort of yeah, um, it's, it's problematic too because when, like it's it's definitely affected my income and yeah and everything. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> it's just ridiculous, right? It's interesting because when you're a dancer and you've been a dancer, when you've been in a public situation in the job with face-to-face people, you get direct feedback that is both negative and positive. Right. So you have an under, you have an understanding of the stigma because it's literally in your face. Mm-hmm. It's a job that is physically taxing and also very emotionally taxing. It is. And when a lot of people that are civilians previously and quite often they can be quite negative about sex industry as a job. And then they think that, oh, this is easy. Let's just do this. And then they go into it and they have zero understanding or respect for the job or the people in the job because it's viewed as an easy work. It's quick money. Like I'm not a big online presence and and the only fans I have one. But frankly, you know, I, I don't have the time because I'm also, you know, trying to write. I'm trying to do research for projects that I'm doing. So it's like I don't have the time to put into it. Yeah. And it's commitment. And so it's work. Right. That's the thing. And I don't have that. And it's, therefore, I don't get a lot of money from. But I fully right. acknowledge that that's why it's a problem. Okay. Now, I was wondering about the notion of sex work being easy work. Like, where did that notion come from? Like, what do you think? Because... It's not um, easy. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that it's viewed as a non-respectable form of work. Right. It's used as, it's it's basically you can get a shit ton more money over a shit ton shorter period of time. At least that's the way it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the, the amount of work with the OnlyFans now is like uh, so many of them that are really high producers of content. Like you have to spend hours per day. Yeah. But the amount of money that they're getting from it is, you know, I have no idea because I'm not the one getting, you know, that sort of budget bracket. I'm not the one doing that kind of work. But they have to do a lot more work. Like it's, you know, if you're doing a stage show, you're doing 18 minutes, you know, depending on which country, province you're in. It could be anywhere from 18 minutes to 10 minutes to five minutes, depending on what system is that they're working with. And then you have you either paid for that or you're getting tips or both. So basically you can make, you know, several hundred bucks in that 18 minute time. Right. But because you're, because you're physically there, so you can get immediate cash. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the way, you know, also with, you know, if you're, uh, what do you call their escorting or whatever? Yeah. Like, again, it, it's the physical work, right. which is, a, a sort of concrete segment of time uh, mm-hmm. versus if you're eight hours a day, like it, there's the difference between like hour shift work versus like per client. Right. So basically per client, if you have one guy that loves legs, 
then, you know, that's 500 bucks that you could be getting as a tip from one guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it, 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 it makes it, – you know, because it's like I'm 5'7 and then add 7-inch heels, it, you know, if a guy's got an ass fetish or a boob fetish or whatever, there's your paycheck. You know, you're basically walking out, you know, one point in Grand Prairie, you know, we had a bunch of guys that were – you know, it was the, the bar was empty pretty much, but we had this, like – I think it was a group of four or five guys – they were throwing like literally fistfuls of loonies on the stage. Right. You know, per, per show, depending on person. Yeah. And, you know, that was like several hundred freaking. I think I've made like four or 500 bucks, like just with those, you know, four guys mm-hmm. Ver- versus if you're online, I have X amount of images online and it's, you know, whatever it ranges, I think from like five bucks to like whatever somebody per somebody will pay for like a conscription or prescription yeah, or whatever they call yeah, it. Subscription. <laughs> the, the thing is, is that it's a very low price point comparative to a show. They see more versus the pay that they give you. So it's like you have to do more work for essentially less money, which is something that I find very interesting because if somebody has images out there that are kind of more risque you have to have it online because, well, I have to have it, but the person <laughs> has it. The person has it online. You don't know if the guy's screen capturing it with another fucking cell phone and posting it to ten of his buddies. Yeah, like this, this is the risk. And that's versus, the thing too. Like right and, now, that's a huge risk too because there's like a lot. I keep seeing all these threads on like Reddit and and Facebook yeah. and like Twitter yeah. that people are. Like, some guys are subscribing to some girls' OnlyFans and then taking those images and sending it to their families, which is super fucking scary. (laughs) And and this is what I find interesting is that there needs to be accountability for this kind of behavior. Like, this is where the problem is, is that legally we're viewed as sort of an incidental in in media and also in, in police. And also in in court. If anything goes down, then we're basically blamed for it. And the irony is that it's a job. It's entertainment. Like, we, the job exists because there's a market for it. If there was no market, guess what? We wouldn't exist. Right. But what and I- it, it's something that we as performers need to have more control. We yeah. need to have more power with regarding to enforcing laws that directly connect with us. The adult entertainment field is basically, it's a small universe. It's a very small industry overall. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a lot smaller than people think it is. Yeah. Like, it's more when when people axe platforms, like, the platforms were created to filter a lot of the problems. And Mm -hmm. when those platforms are eliminated, how the fuck can we we screen and filter? Like... With sex trafficking, um, and this is something that's been an issue since like the 1800s, not trafficking, but sex tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the women, which believe it or not, totally random, but the Empress Elizabeth of Austria, um, she was married, you know, really high end dude. And one of the things that she mentioned, actually, she wrote a letter about it because she would interact with the public and talk with you know, more marginalized people because she was a very eccentric person and this was deemed weird. And she made a, she made a letter at one point where she made the observation that a lot of the people in high end circles would go to slum places 
and you know basically fuck around with whatever you know tight piece of ass they found attractive right and then the one guy the one guy would do this from his 20s to like the age of whatever death basically (laughs) and so it was not it was not uncommon for a guy to go in there fuck somebody and then of course you know condoms did exist at the time but it's like if you're a street worker then your sort of ability to control that was less so it was not it was not uncommon for the worker to be impregnated carry the baby to term give birth take care of the kid because what the fuck is she gonna do and the kid because they have nowhere to go no income nothing so guess what in you know 11 12 13 14 years the same kid the guy who's biologically the father and has no idea will go back to the same ghetto area or slum or whatever yeah and see this see this pretty young thing and unknowingly knock up his own kid oh, and this God. is this is some, well that's the thing is because and, and she made this observation that like there's no observation of any of these guys that is going to these places like nowadays guys go to like thailand and everything else right it's funny because the whole concept of you know monitoring sex trafficking and oh my god we have to be able to see these people and it's like well nobody's doing a dna test of these places you know nobody's going through there right nobody's going through there and literally dna testing the kids that are born Right. If you do a DNA test and basically counter, you know, go go backwards and do a matchup with rape kits and stuff like that, and you and you basically um, link up the DNA evidence, how many of those people are going to be the same people? Yeah. Like <laughs> you the, just don't want to know. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, is that behaviors are blamed on an industry but it's a behavior that is accepted and it's ignored by society because it's convenient they don't really want to solve the problem because that would actually take effort well the thing is like Um, this is a huge tangent though too i'm going to try to steer it back but um well sex tourism too now that you mentioned it it's not just in southeast asia or like countries like it's just here in our backyard too and that's probably another topic i would want to try like um tackle for another episode too because that's just a huge topic mm. in and of itself <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's crazy because once you go online too it's just a lot of distribution there too and that's what the that's like the point that I was trying to bring back for these guys that are going on these girls only fans pages and what they're essentially yeah. doing is distributing because you have purchased a subscription to their page and if you're yeah. going to be taking screenshots and sending it to their family they're I'm just yeah. curious what the legality around that is. Cause I know that that is definitely illegal and there can be repercussions for that, but then tracking that person down might be kind mm-hmm. of tricky. So, but that again, I would, I, love love, I would love to have someone on the show that can speak about that too. <laughs> it's right. like a new phenomenon probably, thing that's happening now. You'd probably need to find like a hacker or an IT guy basically, because the thing is, is online harassment is massive. Huge. Huge. And account- right. And accountability for that is shit. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, we have a right to speak. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're not exactly speaking in a very positive manner, are you? The aggression and the abuse is basically off the rails. Totally. And especially and, like with like revenge porn and those types of web- yeah. websites too. Like I would love yeah. to speak to someone that has gone through that because there's just so yeah. much work and just trying to <laughs> get the, that shit off the internet because mm-hmm. it's 
once it's out there, it's really, really hard to just wipe out. So for another episode, oh, yeah. I can be on find a guest to speak about that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, let's go into Q&A. There's only a couple questions here because it was such a last minute. Hey, send some questions, mm-hmm. peeps. But let's go into it. So the first question is, what nationality are you? Russian and German. Oh, wow. I like that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Super cool. So basically obnoxious blunt and loud yeah <laughs> <laughs> perfect description <laughs> um, oh yeah what are you currently reading oh god i'm reading like different things man like i'm well i'm going through an audiobook of the 1956 hungarian revolution oh whoa um, super cool i'm also i'm also doing studying on like ptsd of like war veterans working on a comic and like a film script so it's kind of like i'm doing like a million things. All um, the things. <laughs> I'm also reading a book on uh, the mother of Nicholas II of the Empress of Russia. So I'm kind of going through a bunch of stuff. Lots of history. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing, the thing is, is that with history is quite often directly connected to what we're doing. Totally. Except that we sort of conveniently forget it. That's kind of the issue. Yes. And oftentimes history does repeat itself. So very applicable. <laughs> mm-hmm. And before I let you go, where can we find you? Uh, basically, Instagram is my best one. It's it's sort of my uh, most prolific add-on. Uh, Twitter is more my Star Wars rant. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, people might be interested. People <laughs> might be interested. It's, it's slightly explosive. You know, I don't know about this. some of the guys that are straight might not really go into that. So. And is it just Adrian.spring for, I know, for your Instagram, but also for Twitter? or is it? Um, no, Twitter, well, I kind of, I sort of changed it up a little bit. So, um, well, yeah, like just basically Google my name and see everything. Because it's like, I've got a Vimeo for some of the shows that I've done for demos. Oh, cool. And also I've got a, a YouTube for some of my rants. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Oh my God. So, some, some of my comments, which, which I need to do more. So I'm going to work on that. Super cool. Okay, well, I'll I'll plug that and put them in the show notes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for the history lesson today. So much to discuss. (laughs) I love it. We've never had anyone in the show that, like, was so in-depth about all this information, too. And people forget about history, too, as we said, right? So it's important that we bring it back. And people never really knew, knew quite what to do with me as a stripper. They're like, are you a librarian or a stripper? Like, which is it? And it's like, it's both. Yes. Yes. Sexy librarian. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was, that was a sort of, that was a term that I kind of, you know, panicked at <laughs> when I was new and I got fired over that a few times because oh, of my look. It's not a bad title though. It's not bad, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to it as a negative connotation. So it's kind of funny. You gotta reclaim that. <laughs> look, yeah, no shit. I look too studious, too serious, and drink, so people got nervous. <laughs> oh god. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strip by Sia. I'm your host, Sia Steph, on my personal or Strip by Sia is my normal account there too. So holla at me if you guys need anything. And we'll catch you guys in hopefully for another episode next week. We're gonna see how long this COVID series goes on for. But anyway, I'm in need for water, but we'll catch you guys in next week, hopefully. See ya.